Um, I wanted to start with just a little story about something that happened in the past week. Um, many of you know that I'm a grandmother, and my grandmother name is Lolly. And so every Friday, I have what I call Lolly Day. And it's, I thought it was kind of clever because it sounds sort of like holiday, but it's Lolly Day. And um, after raising five children and swearing I would never get another minivan, ever, I readily embraced getting a minivan and named it the Lolly Trolley. And so the Lolly Trolley goes and picks up the grandkids, and we come to my house, and we uh, just... We do not big things, little things, but they kind of become traditions. We have a duck named Donald that we feed every week, and just just fun little things. But um, this past week, the last five minutes they were at my house, everything had gone so well the whole day. The last five minutes, I'm changing the last diaper so I can put them in the van and take them home. And the other three are running around and running around, and all of a sudden I start hearing tears, and I know what's happened. There's been a collision. Um, and... My oldest granddaughter, Presley, had run into the youngest little one, Aiden, and knocked him down, and he was crying, and she was crying harder than he was crying. Because every time she inflicts pain on someone, it really breaks her heart, and she cried much longer than he did. But, you know, that's an everyday occurrence, isn't it? Just accidents happen in our world. Um, accidents of the gravest kind are the ones that cause someone else's death. And that's what we're, we're talking about today. Um, back in Numbers 35, God went into great detail with Moses about the difference between a murderer and a manslayer. Um, so basically, a murderer was somebody who struck someone down on purpose and killed with intent. And a manslayer is someone that kills by accident. Um, God makes it clear that murderers those who kill intentionally, intentionally are to be put to death by someone called the Avenger of Blood. So this Avenger of Blood um, is a very interesting person. Um, the Hebrew word for this is goel. The goel had a number of responsibilities, and I would say that these roles sort of fell under the, the headings of like mercy and justice. Um, first, the Goel was a next of kin, a brother, an uncle, or a male cousin who would restore the rights of a relative. So if you had a relative who was in debt and they had to sell some property uh, to pay off their debt, the Goel could uh, redeem that property, could purchase it back um, to get it back in the f into the family. Or if they had even had to sell themselves into slavery, the Goel could pay that debt off and redeem them from slavery. Another interesting responsibility they had was if, for instance, a, a woman died, or sorry, a woman's husband died, and she had no male heir to carry on his name, um, it might be like her brother-in-law would marry her and have a child with her, a male child, to carry on his brother's inheritance that would inherit that for his brother. Um, which is very interesting. Next, the Goel was to avenge the death of a close relative. This is more the justice role, by killing the person responsible for murdering that relative. So someone be, would be appointed to hunt down and, and kill this person that, that had committed murder. But what if the death wasn't murder? What if it was an accident? So God had a plan for that, and that was the cities of refuge, a place where a manslayer could flee for safety. 
We first hear about these cities in Exodus 21. God is talking to Moses, and he says, if somebody kills someone accidentally, there's going to be a place for them to go. And then later in Numbers, the Lord tells Moses that once you come into the land, you're going to set aside cities for the Levites, and six of these you're going to set aside as cities of refuge. And so before Moses died, he designated three cities on the east of Jordan as cities of refuge, and now this week Joshua is designating the other three. So you wouldn't realize it by reading the text this week, but if you looked at the, the cities on a map, they're, they're listed this week this way. Up in the, north, um, the northwest, on the west side of Jordan, and they, they're listed coming down south and then crossing over to the east side of the Jordan and coming back up, so counterclockwise. And this was a literary device that they used to show that the whole land was covered um, with the cities. In fact, the cities were spaced throughout the land so they would be easy to access. No matter where you lived, you could get to one rather quickly. Sources outside the Bible tell us that the roads were kept well, like you, today we would say paved. Well, you know, probably weren't paved, but they were well prepared, um, easy to travel. Bridges were built over ravines, and there were signs with large letters so that if you, were, you came to a crossroads and you were running and you were in a hurry to get to the city, you would easily be able to make the correct turn to get to the city. Um, also, the gates of these cities were always left unlocked, unlike gates of other ancient cities that might be locked at night. They were always open. So let's put ourselves in the manslayer shoes for a moment. We've accidentally killed someone. We have fled to a refuge city. Uh, when we got there, we would present our case to the elders at the gates, and later there would be a trial, and the congregation would decide our, our case and our fate. If it was decided the death really was an accident, we could live there in the city, but we could never leave. It's kind of like Hotel California, you know? Um, not really, but anyway, it kind of made me think of that. You can never leave. Um, if we did, we could still be killed by the Avenger of Blood, and that would be okay. They would have access to us. So the city of refuge for us would mean safety, but a little bit like exile or a prison as well. We would not be able to leave until the death of the high priest. Now that may, be, may seem a little harsh by today's standards, but think about it from the perspective of the family of the victim. It would be nice not having to run into the person that killed your loved one in Target or Kroger, right? Just kind of they're out, they're not a constant reminder, they're kind of separated. Um, so what do we see here from this chapter about God? We always get that question. I think there's several things that we see about God this week. First, God values life. Genesis 9, 6 says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Every life is made in the image of God, and that makes every life sacred. Numbers 35, 33, and 34 says, You shall not pollute the land in which you live, for blood pollutes the land, and no atonement can be made for the land for the blood that is shed in it, except by the blood of the one who shed it. You shall not defile the land in which you live, in the midst of which I dwell, for I the Lord dwell in the midst of the people of Israel. God cares about the life of the victim. He cares about the life of the manslayer, too. Um... The saying, two wrongs don't make a right, comes to mind. The manslayer is protected from shedding the innocent blood that he shed, but the avenger of blood is also protected 
from shedding the manslayer's blood. So the application for us is, do we value life? Do we place a high value on every life? And I'm not just talking about the issue of abortion. <clears throat> you know how you get calluses, you know, um, on your hands if you do a certain kind of work or you're always holding a certain tool? I think so many of us have calluses when it comes to hearing about loss of life. Um, because we live in a society where we have the internet and we have 24-hour news and we're hearing about coronavirus and earthquakes and school shootings and how many times do I hear about that and it just doesn't even sink in I don't even I don't even really much think about it it doesn't it doesn't seem to have weight and that that's wrong um, it's difficult not to become hardened by that isn't it and just to not really have the value on it that we should unless it hits really close to home so we must remind ourselves of the value that God places on life. The second thing I think that we see about God is that he values justice. He wants justice for the victim. He wants justice for the accused. The refuge cities were God's idea, and the spacing of them, the process by which the innocent could have a fair trial, all of that was his idea. Dale Ralph Davis said that the very number and location of the city show how available God's justice was meant to be and how practical his ways are. He is the perfect righteous judge. Psalm 9-8 says, He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. So an application for us, I think, is that we are not perfect judges. We like to judge. We do a lot of judging. But we are not God, and we are not perfect judges. James 4.12 says that there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Jesus said in Luke 6, 37 and 38, judge not, and you will, be, you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. So how often do we make judgments about other people? Um, how often do we form opinions on a tidbit we hear or something we see without knowing the whole story? Um, I think on social media a lot of times, maybe on Facebook or especially Twitter, um, it's, it's horrible if you <laughs> ever go on there and just read comments that people make, um, even about Christian brothers and sisters and making judgments maybe without knowing the whole story. Um, when I was studying um, for this talk, I ran across a story about um, people making, it was about people making judgments before they knew the whole story. And several years ago, NPR had played a joke, an April Fool's joke on social media. Um, they came up with a phony story and a phony picture, and they titled it, Why Doesn't America Read Anymore? And if you went to the trouble to click the link, to read the story, um, it said this, congratulations, genuine readers, and happy April Fool's Day. We sometimes get the sense that people are commenting on our stories that they haven't actually read. If you're reading this, please like this post and don't comment on it. Then let's see what people have to say about this story. So can you guess what happened? Yes. Um, 
Many, many people jumped right in and began commenting, saying, this article's horrible. Americans do read. It's disrespectful to intelligent Americans to state as fact as American no longer reads, and so on and so on and so on. So just making a quick judgment off of a little tidbit. Um, we need to be careful about that. Third, God values mercy. God is merciful to the manslayer by offering a place of refuge. He's merciful to the avenger of blood by keeping him from shedding more innocent blood. And he's merciful to the victim's family by removing the person that would continue to cause them pain. Our God is a merciful God. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In addition, his mercy extends even to the stranger. Let me read this verse from our chapter this week, uh, verse 9 of, of chapter 20. These were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the stranger sojourning among them, that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there, so that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood till he stood before the congregation. You know, strangers and sojourners were important uh, to Israel and to God because they had been strangers. Um, they had been strangers in the land of Egypt. Not all societies grant the same rights to non-citizens and strangers in their country. Um, so this was a big deal. And I think it's important for all of us to remember that we were once strangers. We were once strangers to God and, and um, that we can relate in that way. So are we in turn merciful? Are we kind? Do we go the extra mile? Are we compassionate? Are we forgiving? Are you holding a grudge towards someone in your life? Or maybe two or three people? Do you find it difficult to be compassionate to people not like you? who live a different lifestyle. Jesus also said in Luke 6, 35 and 36, love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. Um, when I think about mercy and graciousness and I think about strangers, um, I think about uh, a time almost 20 years ago when my husband Jeff w had interviewed for a company in Austin, Texas, and he had had several phone interviews, and they had gotten to the point where they wanted him to, to fly down there for an in-person interview. So it was getting very serious. And so um, he decided that I needed to come along uh, and just kind of check out the housing situation, go, go to some neighborhoods and, and see what th that was all like. So we did that. We took a day and went down and went into this neighborhood that had a model home. And we met this real estate agent. And she was this great girl. We just really hit it off with her. And uh, we got in her car. She started taking us around to some other houses. And uh, we started talking about life and church. And she told us all about their church. And it, and it sounded a lot like Bellevue um, back in that day, that they were still kind of in the inner city of Austin, um, but very much like that. And she said, you know, we're actually having a Thanksgiving dinner tonight, our Sunday school class. Like, why don't y'all come? And we were like, 
okay. It's kind of crazy, but we went. And um, so met just wonderful people there and really thinking, man, this would be a great place to live. We could really see ourselves being there. Um, that night while we were at the dinner, <clears throat> we got, got, got a call from Jeff's stepmother saying that his dad was in his final hours. We knew that he was in the hospital when we left, but we had no idea he was so close um, to passing away. So we shared that with everyone there. They prayed for us, and we exchanged phone numbers and headed back toward the hotel so that we could figure out how we were going to get back to Memphis as soon as possible. Um, before we actually got out of their neighborhood, um, the real estate girl, I can't even remember her name now, called us and said, someone here wants to talk to you. And this man gets on the phone and says, I have a private plane. I want to, I want to fly you back tonight. And I won't go into all the scary details about it because it was a tiny plane and we had to be um, jumped off. I would say jumped off. It sounded like a jalopy. <laughs> and he, this little golf cart came out there and jumped us off. But like three men uh, flew with him so they could keep him awake on the way back. Um, and Jeff never heard from the company again. They never made an offer. And, but it was just such a sweet, sweet picture of God's mercy and graciousness and his people extending kindness and compassion toward others. Um, so many of us won't go out of our way for almost anyone. It's really, it's really something that, um, that it convicted me. Um, before we go, I just want to mention just a few more pictures that I'm sure you probably saw um, in the scripture from this week that were so cool. There's so, many, so much packed in these nine verses. First, that city of refuge. God is our city of refuge. And in the Old Testament, God is um, called the refuge. Um, Psalm 46, 1 through 3, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Um, and as we get into the New Testament, we realize that Jesus now also is our refuge. The word refuge actually comes from a Latin word meaning to flee back. So when I think about refuge, I've always thought about um, the noun part of it, like it's a shelter. But when you think of the word meaning flee, um, to flee back to, and that's how we should approach God, not um, timidly, but to actually fling ourselves and to flee to him. It just puts a different spin on it, doesn't it? Um, second, the picture of Jesus as our high priest. Commentators disagree about the meaning behind the death. Like, what was it about the death of the high priest? Um, because it's not specifically mentioned the significance of that. But the bottom line is the high priest had to die so that the manslayer could go home. Um, just like our high priest had to die so that we can go home. Hebrews 6, 18 through 20 says, We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then third, Jesus as our goel playing that role of mercy, um, paying the debts that we can't pay, setting us free from slavery to sin. And then 
in that justice role, offering his own blood um, to pay as an act of justice for our sins. This is the gospel, ladies, that Jesus' death has set us free. Have you been set free? I hope that you have. Um, I want to close by reading you the lyrics of a song that we sing here often at Grace, and I hope that when you sing it the next time, you will think of these cities of refuge in Joshua 20. Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. While the nearer waters roll, while the tempest still is high, hide me, O my Savior, hide, till the storm of life is past. Safe into the haven guide, O receive my soul at last. Other refuge have I none, hangs my helpless soul on thee. Leave, ah, leave me not alone, still support and comfort me. All my trust on thee is stayed, all my help from thee I bring. Cover my defenseless head with the shadow of thy wing. Let's pray. Father, I I thank you for this chapter. I thank you um, that you are our refuge, that you are our high priest, that you are our Goel. I pray that we will be women that value justice and mercy um, and life. In Jesus' name, amen.